Eskimo Pie, America's first chocolate-covered ice cream bar, is the latest to get a new name and image. More than three months after Dreher's grand ice cream announced it would rebrand the ice cream that has featured an Eskimo character on the box, the company has revealed the new name will be Eddie's Pie. In rapid succession, back in mid-June, several companies announced they would retire racial imagery from their branding from Aunt Jemima to Miss Butterworth in the wake of renewed calls for racial equality. Now, just to let you know, I've tried Aunt Jemima. That's a very good syrup. But honestly, sometimes syrups are just so thick. I prefer to use like honey. And also it's just far healthier. But anyway, experts say the branding announcements are a ripple effect from the Black Lives Matters protests and riots over the police killing of George Floyd and other African-Americans. The name Eddie's Pie was chosen in honor of one of our company's founders, candy maker Joseph Eddie, as well as a form of tribute to the entrepreneur origins of this treat. Elizabeth Marquez, head of marketing for Dreyers, said in a statement to USA Today. Last month, Cream of Wheat's parent company, B&G Foods, said the Black Chef would come off boxes of the cereal, Mars Incorporated, also announced its 70-year-old Uncle Ben's rice brand will be renamed Ben's Original and will drop the logo. Marquez told USA Today in June that Dreyers has been reviewing our Eskimo Pie business for some time and will be changing the brand name and marketing. We are committed to being a part of the solution on racial equality and recognize the term is derogatory, Marquez said. This move is part of a larger review to ensure our company and brands reflect our people values. According to the Alaska Native Language Center, while the word Eskimo is commonly used in Alaska to refer to Inuit and Yupik people, it's considered derogatory and was said to mean eater of raw meat. Marquez said in a statement Tuesday that the company paused production of the ice cream bar under the Eskimo Pie branding and packaging after announcing the decision to rebrand. The new Eddie's Pie ice cream bars are expected to be in stores in early 2021, she said. Now the thing is, this is like a really good example of get woke, get broke, potentially, because the thing is, they got to understand is that there's a lot more costs to this than what most people will think, right? Because one, they are stopping the production, right? That's going to cost them millions of dollars. Next, they're going to be changing the brand name, brand imagery. That's going to cost them millions of dollars as well because they're going to have to literally recreate it and then reprint it while they're doing the whole production, and then three, it's going to cost them in a crazy amount of sales because their customer base that has probably already, like almost always bought from them because they're used to that brand, they love the brand, they love the taste of the popsicle, will look at a different name, different imagery on the packaging and be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I really know this company because they're not going to even recognize it. Right, like they're gonna look at it, and it's like because people are very used to what is normal, 
what is comfortable, right? So if it's completely different, they might not even recognize it as the original popsicle, right? As the same popsicle. So this is going to cost them a lot of money down the like down the line for pretty much no reason, right? Because if this was a very serious racial issue, then people would have specifically complained about it, right? People who are referred to as Eskimos would have complained about it and probably would have put in to, like, basically apply to kind of like sue them or potentially file any sort of paperwork against them, saying like, "Hey, this is like kind of wrong. Can you guys potentially change the name?" But to my research, there was really nothing like that. So, to me, it's going to cost them so much more money than what is necessary. And Petco will stop selling electronic shock collars. Petco announced Tuesday that it would no longer sell electronic collars, aka shock collars, the first major pet products chain to pull the items from its stores and online. Animal rights groups have long opposed use of the collars, arguing that they cause animals distress. The move comes as part of a broader corporate transformation of Petco, which is seeking to establish itself as a health and wellness brand, even though it's a pet company. The company on Tuesday announced it would rebrand in 2021 as Petco, the Health and Wellness Co. Shock collars are not consistent with our mission of improving lives, Petco CEO Ron Colon told CNN, CNN Business in an interview. The collars, which accounted for roughly $10 million of Petco's 2019 sales of $4.4 billion, deliver electrical, electrical pulses of varying intensity and duration. They're used to curb behaviors such as excessive barking or to act as an invisible fence to keep pets from running away. Some trainers say that when used correctly, they can be a useful training tool without harming the animal. Okay, so I'm going to tell like a story about this because I have a personal experience when it comes to shock collars, right? Now, the thing that you can understand with any tool, yes, there can be negatives to it and then there could be positives to it, right? So the positives is that, yes, if you use it correctly, it is very, very, very good in keeping a dog within a certain area so that they don't break out, get hit by a car, or even attack another person or another dog, right? So it can be a very good preventive measure to prevent the worst case situation, right? Because here's the thing, and depending on your state, if your dog does something, you are legally liable for it, right? That means if they were to attack someone, one, the dog would probably be put down because of that, and then two, you're going to be sued for that, right? So this is a very serious thing that many people don't really think about, right? Because there are some dogs that within them, they just love to break out, right? They just love to break out. One of my older dogs back then, who passed away now, which sucks, he was a breakout artist. He would break out of locked doors, out of locked houses, out of cages, out of fences, right? He would literally jump like a five-foot fence, right? So the only way to actually keep him in a place in a very massive yard was to use an electrical collar, right? 
because it would prevent him from getting like a foot near the fence, right? But that's when it happens and works well, right? That's when it is used properly and that it that there's no fault to it. The only problem is sometimes these things can really screw up for some reason, right? Maybe a bird ends up biting the wire. Maybe something happens to the collar where it screws it up. And it could have a very negative effect. Now, basically, one time, this actually happened to the very same dog, right? Where this collar ended up malfunctioning and started to basically shock the dog, even though it was within its area, right? And it kind of messed him up mentally because, well, basically for like a few days, because it basically made him get shocked in an area that he was actually supposed to be in, right? But that's because the collar malfunctioned. So at this time, I was a lot younger. My dad took off the collar, tried to like, you know, convince him, hey, you got to come back here. You know, you're you're actually able to go to the bathroom outside because it completely messed him up because the collar itself malfunctioned, which is an issue. But even so, 99.9% of the time, shock collars can be extremely useful and helpful in preventing the worst case scenarios when it comes to a dog doing something that a dog would probably just want to do. Right, so just keep that in mind when it comes to shock collars. Like, obviously, use it smart and wisely, and of course, make sure to like keep checking on it every single day because this happened within like a twenty-four hour time span, or well, technically a twelve-hour time span, where this thing malfunctioned and no one even realized it. So, always make sure to check a collar every single day, depending on what it's used for. Right, and the thing is, after a certain time, once the dog gets used to, you know, getting shocked within like a foot from a fence, they're basically going to be accustomed to that, and they would naturally not even need the collar after a certain point. It's just there to really train them for that specific time frame, and they'll get used to it. So m- most e-collars also have non-shock cues such as beeps or vibrations that act as a stimulus for training. And this is basically to kind of like get them out of the moment, right? It's basically like when, let's say if you have two dogs and they're kind of like growling at each other for something, you could literally just snap your fingers in between them. So that noise and that movement will literally just stop them immediately, right? Because he's going to put them out of that mindset, out of that like, oh, you're going to try to like steal my toy kind of mindset. However, the collars have the potential to be abused and can cause a significant amount of pain, Colin said. You see those human shock collar challenges, he said, noting viral videos of people trying to order fast food or complete other tasks while receiving unexpected jolts from a shock collar. They're funny but sad because pets don't know what's coming their way, and they didn't ask for it to happen. Pekka, which says the decision was made on his own volition, also started a petition to have the collars regulated and used only by certified training professionals. The move comes two years after Pekka became the first major pet retailer to pull dog and cat food that contain artificial ingredients and colors. Pekka instead will continue to sell other training products considered more humane and tout positive reinforcement training. That includes his own offerings, which were expanded with online courses during the pandemic.
Biden defines $400,000 a year as wealthy. Here's what that buys in a big city. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden says his tax hikes would only affect the wealthy, defining that as those who make more than $400,000 a year. But according to a financial planning analysis, families making $400,000 a year aren't exactly living large, especially in major cities. A family of four with $400,000 a year in income is more likely to drive a Toyota and take staycations than drive a Lambo and fly first class. By national measures, those making $400,000 or more in income belong to a rarefied group. They represent the top 1.8% of taxpayers earning about 25% of the nation's income, or pretty much any major TikToker or big YouTuber. The $400,000 cutoff is also higher than the $250,000 income threshold proposed by President Barack Obama in 2008 when he sought to raise taxes on the wealthy. Since Biden's plan is largely a marginal tax increase, taxpayers will only see tax hikes on income above $400,000, which I highly doubt that's actually how the plan will end up happening if he were to become president. So those making slightly more than $400,000 will see small increases, while the bulk of the $4 trillion in added revenue from Biden's plan would come from super earners making more than $1 million, according to the Tax Policy Center. And again, I highly doubt this, because usually the people who are making more than $1 million a year usually have their own business and usually is able to write off a whole bunch of their expenses and taxes, right? So this is also why Trump was able to, you know, manage his taxes in a way where he's not basically getting his cheeks clapped by the IRS, right? Like, this is the reason why trying to tax wealthier people doesn't really solve anything because they're just going to be able to use the tax law to their advantage, right? And you got to think about it too, right? Biden is literally in this tax bracket as well. Right, but do you think he's actually going to be willing to pay less taxes? Right. So to me, it's just no matter who's president, taxing wealthier people won't solve the issue. So people making between four hundred thousand dollars and seven hundred thousand dollars are going to have a tax increase of only about one percent or less," said Seth Hanlon senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, a left-leaning think tank. The tax plan is really aimed at the very top, the top 1% or 0.1%. A household income of $400,000 a year is well off by any measure, with Biden saying they can afford to pay a little more. It's nearly six times the median income in the U.S., even in high-cost hubs like New York or San Francisco, it's nearly more than two or three times the median income. Yet while $400,000 may provide for a luxurious life in West Virginia or Alabama, it provides for a less lavish lifestyle in big U.S. cities, experts say, which typically is where this income is actually located. 
the soaring costs of housing, education, and childcare can quickly absorb the after-tax income on a $400,000 a year family. Sam Dogan, founder of the personal finance site Financial Samurai, calculated what $400,000 gets a family of four in a high-cost city like New York, San Francisco, Boston, Los Angeles, San Diego, Washington, or Honolulu. Based on the expenses, a $400,000 household income provides for a relatively middle-class lifestyle, Dogen said. A middle-class lifestyle is defined as owning a home, having two kids, saving for retirement, saving for college, going on modest vacations several weeks a year, and retiring in one's early 60s. He said a family of four living in a high-cost city with $400,000 a year in income could afford a $1.6 million mortgage on a $2 million home. Now, if you were to think about this, think of this as like in California, this is basically like a box, right? So this is what you're going to get in basically San Francisco or LA, right? You're going to get like a box for $1.6 million or $2 million, right? He said that you would be able to drive a mid-range vehicle like a Toyota Highlander and be more likely to shop for clothing at the Gap rather than Gucci. They would be able to take three vacations a year, but two would have to be staycations, and the other would be a road trip. He said a large chunk of the family's budget, or over $60,000 a year, would be eaten up by school and child care. While the family could save for retirement, they would only have about $34 left at the end of the year as extra cash flow once their household expenses are paid. They are not living it up on $400,000 a year, he said. Check out 40 to master your money. Personal finance lessons and courses. Want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Thank you for watching. Make sure to subscribe. Hit the notification bell to stay notified of future episodes. And thank you for listening to the podcast as well. Now, Feel free to give your thoughts as to any of the stuff that we talked about in this episode. And yeah, we'll see you in future.